0: Galatians chapter 2, this morning, I want to speak on Christ lives in me. Last week, I began talking as we started our journey through the book of Galatians about Paul's initial comments to this church. He preached to them when he planted this church a gospel of freedom. He preached to them that they were justified by faith alone in Jesus. Not by works, not by how many times they were in church, not by how much money they gave. They were justified by faith alone. And he preached a life that was no longer in bondage to any pagan chains or any pagan or earthly rituals. Nor anybody else's chains or, or, or rituals. And how many know it's not just Religious systems, but people can try and put chains on you from time to time, can't they? Yet, in all of this, in establishing a church based on these principles, Paul goes away, and yet he begins to hear reports, and he is amazed in the opening verses of Galatians. They're turning from a faith in Jesus Christ that requires just faith in him, but now they're turning to a faith that believes in Jesus and. They're adding to it. And in this case, it was obedience to the law and its social and cultural practices. Mainly, as it will be discussed in this letter, it was circumcision as a critical identifier. So Paul makes the case, the key verse in the chapter we looked at last week, in verse number 8, but if we or any angel from heaven preach any other gospel... To you then what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. And Paul was so emphatic that they get this message in verse number 8. He says the exact same words in verse number 9. Now in chapter 2, he takes this idea of freedom we have in Jesus and adds a foundation to it. Beginning to explain how this works and why we're free. Galatians chapter 2, I'm actually going to start reading in verse number 17. But if we, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves are also found sinners, is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Certainly not. For if I build again those things which I destroyed, and make myself a transgressor. For I, through the law, died to the law that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ it is no longer I who live but Christ lives in me and the life which I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me I do not set aside the grace of God for in if righteousness comes through the law then Christ died in vain now I want to review the whole chapter but I'm going to kind of do it in a different way. I'm going to start at the end where Paul explains that the freedom we have in Jesus is possible because he lives in us. Now, we, he wanted to be careful and we always want to be careful and I think at times in the church we tend to try to be over careful because we're not talking in terms of freedom in the form of license. You see, our world has no concept of what freedom is. To them, freedom is license. We're not talking about freedom as if there are no boundaries. We're not talking about freedom that means I follow anything that just kind of pops into my head at a given moment. There's a whole big difference between freedom and chaos. But living in the grace of God provides a freedom that it just be, has become clear this world cannot understand. I believe in the grace of God. I don't believe in cheap grace. By that meaning taking advantage of his mercy and love. Well, if God's going to forgive me for anything, then I guess I might as well just do anything. Then you don't understand the grace of God, then you've not come into an encounter with the grace of God. It is delusional to think that coming to Christ means you can do whatever you want, because coming to Christ means you are making a statement, and you are committing to do whatever he wants. And why would I make that kind of commitment? Because, at verse 20 says, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The freedom that we have in Jesus provides a strength and a power to follow him. We couldn't do this on our own. It would be just works, and it would be lame. He gives us a power to follow him. He gives us a power to serve him. And he gives us a power to be witnesses to all for him. The freedom framed here is identifying with his death. We gladly proclaim that we are crucified with Christ. The world and the culture we live in and walk in is not interested in being crucified with anybody. They don't understand that being crucified with Christ brings us a number of things. First, it brings us pardon for our sins. Aren't you glad your sins are forgiven? Aren't you grateful that he took upon him a penalty that was meant for you that you had deserved, but he took it upon himself because of his love for you? It brings pardon from sin. It brings freedom from the law. And it brings a passion to want to do different. Being crucified with Christ brings pardon. Bring, being crucified with Christ brings power. And it's a power we can walk in each and every day. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I have been given a power that allows my Christian walk to move away from all the excuses people give each and every day. Well, Pastor, I just couldn't help myself. When that person cut me off, and although they were in a closed car and I was in a closed car, I could read their lips. I know what they were saying to me, and they were not saying, have a nice day. So I couldn't help myself when I wished them a nice day. Now, that happens to other people. It never happens to us. We're talking about somebody else right now. But Jesus gives us a power to walk differently. He gives us a power to be differently. He gives us a power that in the face of being disrespected and being insulted, we can return love and peace and joy and respect, even to those who don't deserve it, just like he did. From the cross. Being crucified with him brings pardon and power. and It also brings partnership. We are never alone. We are never alone. He has promised to never leave us. He has promised to never turn away. And this to me is amazing. He never gets tired of us. Now, I know this is not true of any of you. But I'm sure you know people who get tired of other people. There's nobody in your life that you're just tired of. Because that would be not very Christian to just have this mindset. Man, I'm just tired of you. But Jesus never gets tired of us. He always wants to be with us, even in our most human moments. This is freedom. This is living. This is the abundant life Jesus talked about. But it means walking with him and being crucified with him. But this is where Paul ended the chapter. This is where he ended this section of thoughts to the the churches at Galatia. But to get here, he talked about some other things. Aren't you glad the Bible doesn't paint the apostles as superhuman? Because they were not. And in case you're saying, well, Pastor, they they were great apostles. Well, then turn to the book of Galatians, chapter 2, and let's start reading in verse 11. Now, when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face. Because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel... I said to Peter before them all, if you being Jew live in the manner of the Gentiles and not as the Jews, how do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? Aren't you glad Paul was mild-mannered and kind of passive to himself? There is a reason why our parents and we as parents that we're so concerned with the crowd children hang out with. Because peer pressure is real, sadly, at any age. Peter was sitting with Gentiles in Antioch and having a meal with them because they were fellow Christians. They were brothers and sisters in the faith. Yet, according to Jewish practice and Jewish law, this was a no-no. But he had been delivered from that. And we're going to talk about that in a moment in his amazing scene on a rooftop in Acts chapter 10. So he had been told by God, this is no longer the case. There is a new covenant that we go by. And it's based on grace. And the Gentiles are welcomed in. So he was sitting and eating with the Gentiles. But then his posse came along. His friends. Those who were of the circumcision. And what does Peter do? He caves, completely caves. And it says there, and Paul is clear, for fear of the circumcision. And I just was compelled, I looked up that word for fear, and in Greek, it means terrified. He wasn't just concerned. He was run away and hide, terrified. Almost run for your life, terrified. And and according to Paul, this impacted others in verse 13. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him. So that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. This is one reason why I prefer this version or many of the newer versions over the old King James. Because the old King James just said, and also Barnabas. But I think this conveys much more what Paul was trying to say. Even Barnabas was carried away. Now, We need to be clear here. This is not just anybody making this mistake. It's Peter, the head of the church in Jerusalem, along with James. And as a leader of the church, others would follow his example. And besides, as I mentioned before, there's a story in Acts chapter 10 where Peter's up on a rooftop waiting for lunch, and he gets a vision from God And God shows him all kinds of food that is unclean according to the law. And God says, have and eat. And he says, no, I don't do that. I'm Jewish. I don't eat that stuff. That's unclean. And God makes it clear to him in Acts chapter 10, verse 15. And a voice spoke to him a second time saying, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. And to me, what's important about verse 16, this was done Three times. God made the point three times. This was a lesson Peter should have learned. Before going down on Peter, before getting upset with him, we all have a side of us that still needs some work. We all have a part of us that doesn't quite get it yet. This was a lesson he should have learned And Paul's response was to stay on track with the theme he's trying to get across in verse 14. But when I saw that they were not straightforward with the truth of the gospel, he basically tells Peter, look, you're going to try and play this this mask, this this picture that this is what's required. But just before the boys showed up, you couldn't even do it. So if you're not going to be able to follow it, why are you going to ask these Gentile believers to follow it? How can you ask someone else to keep something that you don't keep? Now, we do our best, and we should do our best to live godly and holy lives and be an example and a model to others. But let me be clear I am not your ultimate example, I will never be your ultimate example your ultimate example for standard of living, for holiness, his name is Jesus. And even if my mom at birth had called me Jesus, we're not talking about that Jesus. I'm so kind of glad she didn't call me Jesus. Every one of us at any stage of life can be subject to the pressure around us. That's why I would prefer, if I'm going to be subject to the people around me, I'd rather they be good, godly, holy people. Even Barnabas, he says, who Acts chapter 11, verse 24 says, was a man full of the Holy Spirit and faith. No one, no one is justified by the works of the law. No one is justified by works. Now, I've said this many times. It's good to be good. Be good people. Follow the precepts of our land, especially when it comes to driving, please. But that doesn't justify you before God. I encourage people to come to church. I believe the Bible teaches it. I believe the Bible is clear, especially, it still amazes me, how many people who claim they firmly believe these are the last days then don't follow the scriptures as to how we're supposed to behave in the last days as far as assembling more often than we did when we didn't believe these were the last days. We need to follow his word, but you're not going to be able to get to heaven one day and Pull out a list or a resume and tell God, look, see, I'm qualified to get into heaven. If your name isn't in the Lamb's book of life, if there isn't a moment where you said to Jesus, I am all yours, I am crucified with you. It is no longer I who live, but you who live in me. And that's it. Now That was a difficult moment that must have been for Paul and for Peter so let's back up a little further so we don't want to just put this all on Peter in Galatians chapter one, uh, chapter 2 verse 1 then after 14 years I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and also took Titus with me and I went up to, by revelation and communicated with them the, that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles but privately to those who were of reputation, lest by any means I might run or or had run in vain. He's checking in with the leadership in the church in Jerusalem. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, being Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And this occurred because of, of false brethren secretly brought in who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty, which we have... In Christ Jesus. That they might bring us into bondage. To him who did not yield submission even for an hour. That the truth of the gospel. We might continue with you. This is bondage. And if there's one thing I want to be clear about this church as I lead it. I am not into putting chains on anybody i believe in decency i believe in in right things i believe in 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 discernment and holiness i believe in modesty but as we as you saw in recent weeks when we had those who were from the group bikers for christ come in it doesn't matter if you come into this church with a three-piece suit and tie or with jeans, a biker shirt, and chains hanging off your arms. It won't matter to me as long as you're here. As long as you're here. Now, if that's not what you do, don't go out and get the leather jacket just because pastor said it was okay. If it's not you, then don't do it. But we can put so many chains on one another. I remember a story my mom told about the Spanish Pentecostal church she grew up in. And she told it more than once. So I, it not only did it seem valid to me, but if she told it more than once, I could see how it impacted her. My mom grew up in a family of six girls and one boy. So the women in my family reigned. And they went to a Spanish Pentecostal church of which my grandfather was a leader. And it was a traditional Spanish Pentecostal church, which means the women wore short, uh, uh, long hair, the boys wore short hair, the women wore long skirts, and the boys didn't wear skirts at all. <laughs> this was a traditional old-time Pentecostal church as she grew up in the 50s. And she related a story that one time as she was in her early teen years... She decided she was going to play the rebel. And if you know my mother, thinking of her as a rebel just doesn't, just doesn't work. She was going to, without letting anybody know, least of which my grandfather. <laughs> you didn't want to get in his bedside. She was going to, on their way to church, put on, I know it's so evil I can't even say it, Lipstick. Mm, such a sinner and you would think okay she would put it on my grandfather would speak to her when she got home never got the chance there were women in the church ready with their handkerchiefs that the minute she walked in the door they wiped it off her lips I'm sorry that's bondage Anyone ever takes a handkerchief to make up on your face, you send them to me. Because that is bondage. They believe that somehow having lipstick on your lips was going to lead you to a path of sinfulness and away from Jesus. Jesus. And while we want to understand the connection between behavior and a path toward the evil one, we need to be careful that we step on the freedom and the liberty that Jesus has given each and every one of us to walk in a way as he leads us. I am not your savior. I did not die for you. I did not rise again for you. And nobody else sitting in a church can say that they did. In this story, uh, Paul goes up to Jerusalem to confer with the leaders in the Jerusalem church, and he brings Titus with him. And Titus was Greek. He was not brought up Jewish, which means he is not circumcised. Yet they were those who, and I love the way Paul puts it, they weren't just like Paul did with Peter, coming to his face and saying, what gives here? They were spying. They were And I didn't look it up. I should have looked up the Greek for Why did the translators say stealth? (laughs) That doesn't seem like an old-time Greek term. They were like a James Bond movie, 007. They were spying. God help us when that is the atmosphere we convey in the house of the Lord. I want you to come here with no fear, knowing that there'll be people here who love you, who care about you. We will laugh together. We will laugh at each other. We will have tons of fun together. But this issue arose for Titus, and Paul was clear because of false brethren. Their purpose, their sole purpose was to come against the liberty which we have in Jesus. Jesus set you free. I have no intention of placing you back in bondage. I want to be clear. I believe in holiness. I believe there is a right and wrong. And I believe that which is wrong should be avoided. And to continually do wrong is bad. I believe all those basic ideas. But I will proclaim the truth of the gospel as Paul did. There is freedom in Jesus. I am not bound by man's codes. I am not bound by man's judgments. I am not bound by man's ideas. I serve a higher law. A law. I serve, as the old-time hymn says, I serve a risen Savior. You see, the theory behind this bondage is that the best way to motivate people to behave in a godly way is one of the biggest problems we have in our culture today. And I looked this up, and I was amazed by it. of all licensed psychologists today and psychiatrists say if we could rid America of one thing it would make a massive change in all of our culture and that is guilt. Guilt. Being motivated by guilt. Where Jesus wants to motivate you by love. In fact, I read one journal with a Psychologist said, if we could just convince people, they're forgiven. Well, I know somebody who can convince you. And his name is Jesus, and you are forgiven. But, Pastor, you don't know what I did, but he does. You are forgiven. But you don't know the pain I've caused. Yeah, but he does. You are forgiven. But you don't know the mess I've made of my life. He does. Church, you are forgiven. It is this love that commits all of us to let Christ live in me. No longer me, but Christ living through me. Guilt is a bad motivator, no matter what our moms have told us over the years. Reason because guilt is temporary. It doesn't last a long time. But when you encounter the loving, risen Savior, when you come face to face with that kind of love, And realize the price he paid for you. Your life not only becomes new, your life becomes free. Free. You're free to enjoy the people around you. You're free from being bound. You do realize that this compulsion our society has that when someone yells at you, you yell back that's bondage. I'm thankful for the freedom that Jesus gave me as I umpired baseball for 15 years, that when a coach yelled at me, I felt no compulsion to yell back. Now, part of that was the power I had to toss him to the side. But I still didn't yell back. Because I'm not bound by your emotions. I'm not bound by the weaknesses in you. I live in a different place. He loves you. Our parents' guilt can't walk with us each and every day. But Jesus can. And here's something that many people need to hear and just believe. God's not angry at you. He's not angry at you. He loves you, and he's got glorious plans for you. Sometimes that frightens people more that God's got plans for you than the fact that he might be angry at you. But it's a plan founded on his sacrifice, on his death. And Paul ended the whole chapter by saying, that's why we're here. We're crucified in his death. We believe his death accomplished something because if it's still by the law, his death was in vain, verse 21 says. We need people in our culture today. We need to be people as the church who stand for what is right. And sadly, there is much to stand against. We need people who stand against evil and sin in our day. We need people who stand for God's way and God's ways for all of life. Because what the world is experiencing in all that they march and protest to to claim is bondage. They claim they want to be free, but what they're claiming is bondage. Freedom comes from Jesus and him alone. And that's why we're crucified with him. Stand with me, please.